asking that you turn in the scriptures with me to Luke, the third chapter. Luke chapter 3. I want to start a new series that are going to lead us up to uh, Christmas called The Way as we talk about our Savior. And uh, today my message is meant prayerfully to assist you to focus on Christmas and to prepare for the birth of Jesus. You know, in one of my, my opinion, one of the toughest assignments that God ever gave to a human being to carry out was the assignment that he gave to John the Baptist in the first century. Old Testament prophets had been for centuries predicting, uh, literally for hundreds of years, that someday God was going to interrupt human history and wrap himself in flesh and come and visit planet Earth. Only one problem. As the centuries rolled on, nothing happened. Nothing. Then God tapped John the Baptist on the shoulder one day and says, I want you to be the one to tell everyone that Messiah is coming. In fact, he's already on the planet. His ministry's just about to kick into gear. John, I want you to go out and tell everybody it's game on. Right now, right here, it's going down. Now, I think John the Baptist knew as soon as, as God began to speak to him that this was going to be a tough assignment. It was going to be a tough sell because people were going to respond and say, oh, yeah, right, I mean nothing. For hundreds and hundreds of years, but predictions from prophets that never came true. And now here you are, one more prophet, telling us that, that this Messiah thing is going to happen soon, like, like within days, perhaps. So should we set our watches? Should we set our alarms? Should we make a note on our calendar? John, is it really now? If you remember last spring, that guy out in Oakland, California, who just had some inside information from God that the world was going to come to an end on May the 21st, any of you buy into that? No. We're here now. <laughs> and John the Baptist is facing the same kind of problem. Who's going to believe him? Who's going to believe that he has inside information, that this Messiah thing is going to happen soon? And God yet said to him, John, I'm asking you to be the one to spread the word. And I know it's a tough assignment, but I want you to tell everybody to get ready. See, that's what my message to you is this morning. As we prepare to jump into this series the way, I want you to get ready. And so John grabs the biggest gun on the rifle rack. He takes the prophecy from what was perhaps the most respected prophet of the Old Testament, Isaiah. And in Luke chapter 3, if you have the scriptures open there, in verses 4 and 5, he quotes, he says the specific words from Isaiah, the 40th chapter. And it says, As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain shall be made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. I love that. All people will see God's salvation. It's the quote that Isaiah had written, spoken some 700 years prior. 
And John is saying that which was spoken of by Isaiah is happening soon. In fact, it's happening now. Now, by the way, some of you are probably wondering about that poetic imagery uh, of that prophecy that Isaiah spoke. And it is rather poetic. Filling in valleys, uh, smoothing mountains, making crooked paths straight and all that. It's actually a road-building metaphor. You see, in ancient times, when a king was going to visit one of his outlying properties or a village, he would announce to them that he was coming on a certain date. And the people would be so honored that their great king would come to their remote place that they would literally fix the roads. They would literally decorate the roads. They would fix up the main street of town so when the king came, he would have some kind of indication that they were honored to have him in their midst. And so when Isaiah makes this prophecy about the coming of Christ to visit planet Earth, what he's saying is, is that this king who is coming, and this is there on your outline, Jesus is the king worthy of some cosmic road repair. He is so worthy that every road should be made perfect. Every valley should be filled in. Every mountain peak ought to be graded down. And we need to prepare the road on this planet for a king that's like no other. A king that's from another realm, a heavenly realm. And behind this poetry and this road-building metaphor is an idea that people would have understood. You see, John is saying, get a little idea of the importance of his arrival. Some of you grew up in churches that celebrated Advent. That's what Advent meant. It was a time to prepare for the arrival of Christ. And a little bit later, John will literally say, of the worthiness of the one who's coming, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie or unlace his sandals. We would say in our culture, I'm not even worthy to shine his shoes. That's how worthy this coming king is. Now before I move on in this text in Luke 3, let me just ask you a simple question. If I had a way of proving to you the Messiah was going to come to your house, was going to come in a visit three weeks from now to your house, to your apartment, to your condo, to your trailer, if I could convince you that Jesus was coming to your home three weeks from now, quick question, would you make any preparations around the house? Would you straighten anything up? Would you throw anything out maybe? Like, oh, I don't want the king to see this. Would you get anything fixed? Would you vacuum? Would you sweep and dust around the house? Would you paint something? Would you replace some frayed carpet maybe? Uh, would you clear your history browser on your laptop or, or reprogram your favorites remote on the TV? You see, that's a little bit about what the advent of Jesus is about. But instead of thinking about the Messiah visiting our house and cleaning our house for the next three weeks, the first week here of December, it's really a time to say, the king's coming. Let's clean up our hearts. Let's figure out together what needs to be straightened up in our inner world. Let's get really honest about what, what needs to be straightened. If there's some garbage that needs to be pitched out, then let's do it. 
Let's see if there's some repair that needs to happen in our souls or in our relationships. The author of Hebrews put it this way, knowing it, he says in Hebrews 10, 22, Let, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. James 4.8 instructs us at this Christmas time and always come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. What kind of needs sweeping up in your life in preparation for the coming of the King of Kings? I like the poet that a lady by the name of Janet Martin, she wrote these words once. Poinsettia for the table, a bloom of festivity, pretty little angel to grace the Christmas tree, lights and pretty candles lending their gentle glow, in tiny golden circles, little choirs in the snow. Cookies, cakes, and puddings in volumes quite obscene, large and tiny presents all wrapped in red and green. Songs that extol the season and mail, the latest rave, excuses become the reasons and Dollars become the brave. Stress finds brand new victims and cheer can lose its mirth, all in the preparation to celebrate Jesus' birth. Shopping lists extended beyond the budget's creed. Holly jolly merchants disguising greed as need. Christmas Eve descending, we brave the cold perhaps to find within a chapel a pew where we collapse. My house sure looks amazing. The food, a work of art. Wouldn't it be something if all the work had been done on my heart? You see, as a preacher, I have a double motivation for being prepared this Christmas season. One, for me, and and maybe for you, this really is, like the song says, the most wonderful time of the year. It's Christmas. But then this past year, I, I celebrated my first birthday with a five in front of it. <laughs> and the actuarial tables are telling me that I've got more Christmases in my rear view mirror than I do ahead of me now. And I really want to get this Christmas right. Now, some of you, you you've got your reasons. In fact, there are many reasons people want to get their celebration of Christmas right. And it might have nothing to do with the fact that you're celebrating or celebrated your 50th birthday. Some of you are brand new followers of Christ. And for you, you came in to this great relationship with Jesus. And for you this time, this Christmas, it really is. You're looking forward to celebrating in ways you've never celebrated before. And you can because you've got the gift of the Holy Spirit within you to celebrate Christmas. And you're saying, oh, I want to get this right. For some of you, maybe this is your first Christmas as a a newly married couple. And you're asking, you know, do we prepare individually or do we prepare multiple Christmases? How much time are we going to spend at my parents' house and how much time are we going to spend at his or her parents' house? You guys remember those discussions and how tough that question was? One woman approached me at the start of November And she said to me, you know, a lot of people are getting stressed out about the holidays. Not me. This is going to be the best Christmas ever. And she said, why? 
She said, this will be the first time in 25 years I have been clean. And she told me about the first day she'd gone to narco, uh, uh, NA, um, I forgot what the N was. What? Narcotics, thank you, anonymous. And, and you know, I am so proud of her. The first Christmas you get to celebrate clean, that is something worth, worth celebrating. And she said she's hoping not only to be here through worship through December, she's coming and, and asking and inviting all of her family to be here on Christmas Eve. So Donna, Peggy, no sweat on you guys. It better be good, okay? She's bringing her family. How do we prepare? Some of you are, are, are maybe grandparents for the first time. And you're thinking, how do we prepare something intergenerational to celebrate at Christmas? Some of you are going to be alone for the first time at Christmas this year. Maybe your spouse has died. Maybe your family is going through some estrangement. Maybe you're facing divorce this year. And you haven't prepared Christmas alone in 30, 40, maybe 50 years or something. And you wonder, how do I do that? I mean, how do I get Christmas right? And so many of us are coming into the season of preparation and there's new dynamics at work. And my point in, in all of this is whatever it is that's new or different for you, the most important thing is that you let Christ inspire your preparation. I had a young lady say to me, you know, I, I just can't get into it this year. My, my family is into it, my children... My heart, I can't get it. You know, the good news I have for you is the same good news that the angels brought to shepherds. I bring you good news that will be the cause of great joy. You don't cause the celebration of Christmas. The good news of Christ, when you humble yourself before it, when you accept the news that a Savior has been born, you don't fabricate, you don't manage, you don't create, God creates the joy of Christmas. So let Christ inspire your preparation. Have a spirit that says, I want to get this Christmas right. I want to be ready. I want to be properly prepared. And I'll give you a few specifics in just a few moments for that. But I want to go back to Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist has quoted the big gun of Isaiah in Isaiah 40. And he looks at his listeners and he could read the cynicism all over their faces. They're not buying it. <laughs> I mean, this is just one more prophecy, John. And so what he, he, he does, and what every good prophet does, who's not received well, he just kind of cranks up the prophetic heat, uh, the notch a little bit. And I love this. Look at verse 7. John says to the crowds that are coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. I, I love that. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. How endearing is John. <laughs> I mean, what do you think your view of me or my pastoral ratings would do 
if I stood up here as David did this morning and I welcomed you, good morning, SCC, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes in the grass. Or I welcomed people on Christmas Eve saying, Merry Christmas, you unrepentant reptiles. I mean, literally, that's what he's doing. But you, And I'm not going to do that, so don't worry. John's not worried about popularity polls. He's worried about the hardness of the hearts behind the eyes that he's looking into. And he's reading his audience, and he knows they're playing games already. And there's two games that he sees going on that still happen today. One of them, we'll just call it the image or the lineage game. The second, we'll call it the dress-up game. The lineage game and the dress-up game. The lineage game is where, where people say, hey, I'm a Jew. I'm a child of Abraham. And I don't care when he comes. I don't care what this Messiah is going to be like. I don't care what his expectations or his teaching are going to be. I've got some general idea that he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. But it really doesn't matter when he comes or how. I'm in. I'm already one of God's chosen. And John says, you know, in the new reality, it doesn't matter if you think you're a card-carrying member of God's chosen people. Because all of that lineage stuff will count for absolutely nothing. Paul was saying Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And John looks around, he says, take a look at these stones. They've got about as much eligibility in the coming kingdom as you do with your card. The ground's gonna be level when the Messiah comes. Everyone has to come to a new, humble, faith-filled relationship with Messiah. You come to, to him on his terms. No card means anything. See, that thought in itself would have been a head popper for the average Jew. But John plows ahead and he exposes the second game, the dress-up game, as I call it. There's some people in the crowd that are thinking, okay, uh, I can tell this, this guy, John the Baptist, he's pretty serious about all of this, about being prepared, and, and so I, I'll do something. For the next few weeks, I'm, I'm going to put on a, a better religious face. I'll put on a little bit of a spiritual show for a few weeks. I'll dress my part. I'll pretend. I'll, I'll show that I'm preparing. I'll, I'll sing the carols, the joyous songs, and all of that. And I'll go to activities with all these other people, all the parties that they're going to go to. I'll fool everyone. And, and I'll do that for a few weeks. And, and who's going to know, right? And January is going to come. We can pack all this stuff up, put it back in the attic, and put it behind us. And John says to the people that he's looking at, you're not even fooling me. I can see it all over your lives, your faces. You think you're going to fool God in the flesh when he sees your little dress-up game? Hebrews 4.13 says, there's nothing in all of creation that's hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of the one to whom we must give an account. And John says, bad plan. Bad planning. What provoked him to say in verse 8, 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying genuinely repentant people, they demonstrate their brokenness, their their contrition with actual changes in their attitudes and behaviors. It's more than just singing some songs. It's more than just talk. It's more than decorations on the outside. Something's going to have to happen on the inside or you're going to miss it. And you don't want to miss it. Isaiah 57, 15 says, for this is what the high and lofty exalted one says. He who lives forever whose name is holy, I live in a high and a holy place, but also with the one who's contrite and lowly in spirit. Why? Because it's I that am there to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's some heart work I need. Maybe that's some heart work you need today. And when it happens on the inside, John says people are going to taste it. They're going to see it. They're going to feel it. It's unlike anything else that's just false contrition. That's not preparation. And John says the lineage game, non-starter. Dress-up game, bad plan. Can I gently remind you today that God can see through any game we play with him? He knows if we're pretending to prepare, and he knows if we're actually preparing. He can discern whether we're more concerned about spending time decorating our houses than addressing the true condition of our hearts. He knows if we're more worried about our Christmas parties and our activity schedules than if we're more worried about that than worried about our relationship with him. He kind of sees who's playing dress-up and who's really preparing their heart for Christmas. I have to be honest with you, spending some time in this text this week, uh, it's been very profitable for me. December is usually, it starts out usually as one of the busiest times of my year. Ask any preacher, any minister, they'll let you know. It's pretty much full on from December the 1st right through the new year. Uh, But being sick for these last 10 days I've had the opportunity to really live in what John was saying. And I had to ask myself, am I going to stand in this pulpit? Am I just going to really step into the role of teaching about preparing? Or am I really preparing? And I had to get out my journal, and I just had to start writing down my thoughts and saying, God, I just want to be honest with you. And would you clearly help me see And I heard the Spirit of God ask me, Bill, is this going to be just one more Christmas for you? One more Christmas where you go through all the the, the duties of your job, and on December the 26th, you sit down and you say, oops, (laughs) sorry, God. I guess I got busy and I didn't take the time to really prepare. Because I've done that. Maybe you've done that. I've done all my work. I've done everything expected of me, but I've left time with God as something near the bottom of my to-do list because there were other things that were necessary or I felt were important for me to do, and it was tough to do, to sit down to get to the bottom of my journal page and write, 
not this year. God, not this year. I'm not going to let it happen this year. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to make a way to prepare differently. I'm not going to have an oops moment on December the 26th in my journal. So how about you? Will you prepare for Jesus first? Each day, every day, all the way through, not this year. I wonder if any of you fall into the same pattern that I do. You got a list of things that are important to do. You've got people that you need to see kind of leading up to Christmas. And, and because of that, there's a lot of letters to write, cards to send. Uh, there's a lot of gifts to purchase. And have you ever sat down and thought, you know, where was so-and-so? I mean, what, did, who remembered to buy? For, oh, no. <laughs> we forgot. And then you're scrambling at the last minute to adjust and quickly finish that to-do list. There are people living by that list that were listening to John as he's calling them broods of vipers. And he comes after them a little bit. And some of these people, they actually get convicted by his word. In fact, look in verse 10 of Luke 3. They cry out, what should we do then? The crowd asked. I mean, you're stepping on my toes, John. You're talking about me. And John shoots back when they ask, what are we supposed to do? He says, I'll tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. Verse 11, with direct specificity, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And I think it's really important you understand what John is saying here. He's saying, how will the Messiah know that you've been preparing for his arrival? By already beginning to care about the things that he cares about. John is saying upon his arrival, you'll find out just how much he cares for the poor. So between now and then, start syncing up. Get on his page. Think of it as a highway and you're coming on this on-ramp and what you need to do, John says to the crowd, is you need to merge into sharing with the poor. John says, take all that exit in compassion for the poor because when the Messiah comes, you're going to find the poor at the top of his list. Now I have a word of commendation for you and I have a challenge for you as well this morning. First, the commendation. I cannot help but believe God has seen the beautiful gifts that you have given as a church family. Out of your own needs, you gave enough funds to provide Thanksgiving meals with all the fixings, complete with gift cards for seven individuals and families this year. Good job. I know that God has seen in the missions giving you've supported clothes placed on children and adults in Kosovo this past year. Your missions giving has provided wells that are dug for thousands of people that are simply thirsty. And you help feed thousands of hungry people through Ides. He saw in his blessedness as dozens of you took names from Carol of soldiers and you wrote letters to them and cards for Christmas that they're going to be receiving. God saw all of that and he's blessing it. Believe me. But God has also seen those who are playing the lineage game and the dress-up game when it comes to the plight of the poor. 
You see, it's not enough to brag or to tell others, I go to a church that does some pretty amazing things. You know, this church does do some pretty cool stuff. And individuals have. But what about the church that you are? What have you done? You say, but it's just, I've got family coming. It's just a busy time in Christmas. I'm just busy getting prepared. Are you getting prepared for the right thing? You see, none of us can fool God. And allow me to be as candid as I think John the Baptist would be. Some of the churches uh, that I have been to, they like to put labels on stained glass windows of people that paid for those windows. They'll put a, a name of a person on uh, the communion table or on the welcome center, on pews that people have paid money for. Lord willing, we will never do that. Because if we did that, the more wealthy people in the church, they would say, I'll buy that pulpit because I want my name on that pulpit. And a little widow on a fixed income who her children sent $20 for her birthday gave $10 to the church. And, and you tell me, whose name should really be on things like that? I pray you'll never see the Joy Hickson Gymnasium or the Roger Maxson Cafetorium or something. You see, I want you to remember Jesus' words about the poor widow in Luke 21.4 when he said to his disciples, all these other people, they, they gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. You see, you've got to love the economy of heaven. Think about not only the parents, not only the shepherds. Think about all the poor surrounding the birth of our Savior. And if you've ever given a penny, if you've ever given a dime to, to God in his name in this place, then you, you get to know no labels attached, but you're, you're part of this. Every time a new person is baptized into the new life of salvation in Jesus Christ, you've been a little part of that. The, the, the building that I'm most wanting to see built, it's a spiritual house that Peter said in 1 Peter 2.5 that each of you, like living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to see some more living stones building the residence of God because that's what's most congruent with the heart and the mission of Jesus. And it begins so often with caring for the poor. And I'm just saying that in your mind, if your name's not in the mix of what's happening, you've got some preparing to do. And I think there's some, something amiss in your heart that needs fixing. Well, when John says when Jesus comes, he speaks to two other groups, specifically the, the tax collectors and the soldiers. To the tax collectors, the, the merchants who've been overcharging people, who built, built their wealth on other people's blood and sweat, they asked John, what are we supposed to do? And in verse 13, he tells them, don't collect any more than you're required to. Ouch. You know, that's how they've been making their, their money. Their whole industry was on a, a racket. And John said, it all stops now. 
Because if you want to be on the page of the Messiah when he comes, he's not just a king. He's the king of integrity. And if you want to be ready to really worship him, then you live with integrity for the king of integrity. All the stuff needs to be done right. No funny math. You know, no creative accounting. If there's anything funny going on, it stops before the king of integrity arrives. And that's a great reminder for all of us, isn't it? Some of us, we work in some very complicated industries. And, and I'm old enough now that I realize there are some gray areas now and then. And yet, when there is a certain line that is crossed, you know as a Christ follower if you're in some dangerous territory. And what John the Baptist is saying to the followers in his day, I would say to those of you that want to take preparing for Christ seriously this Christmas, if there's anything deceitful, if there's any deal or relationship that, that you've got going on in your life, any relationship that should not be happening, you fix it. And you fix it fast. You go into work tomorrow, and you say to your employer, you know, at a different time in my life, I was okay with how this is happening, but I'm at a different stage in my life right now. My life's on a different trajectory, and I can't be part of this. And you make a stand. And when you get on to the integrity page, you feel cleaner on the inside, and you're more prepared for the coming of Christ. And then lastly, to the soldiers, when the soldiers say, well, John, what about us? Verse 14, he replies to them, well, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You see, in the first century, soldiers, they, they were known as bullies. They hid behind their uniforms just to intimidate people. And they would rip people off however they felt like, and it was just obscene. And John said, all that stuff has to stop. You don't puff up and power up on people. Are you hearing me? You don't manipulate people. You don't use people to get things. You don't extort people because the king that's coming, he's a king of love, self-sacrificing love. And if you want to be prepared, then you be about self-sacrificing love. You stop anything that's unloving going on in your life. And if you get on the love page, if you get on the contentment page, then you're going to be on the same page when Christ comes and you're going to be ready for a joyful celebration. But you got to be prepared for it. That classic verse again that John spoke would come in Luke 6, uh, 3.16 where he honestly proclaims, here's the truth, he said, I, I'll baptize you with water, but one who's coming that's more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You know, I can picture John getting a little tender at this moment and, and, and dropping to his knees before this crowd and, and saying, look, everyone, you have no idea how good and how loving he is, this king who is coming. John's going to give us a picture in John 3.16 we all know so well. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him 
will not perish but would have eternal life. You have no idea how kind and thoughtful and compassionate he is, how self-giving and self-sacrificing the one whose coming is going to be. It's going to change everything. You have no idea how righteous and how truthful he's going to be because you've never seen anything like Jesus. You have no idea how fearless and strong he's going to be. He's going to stand up to power and corruption and how fearless he's going to be. He will be without fear. You have no idea how ferociously committed he's going to be to the marginalized. You have no idea how much of an impact he's going to make on this city and on this planet. They're going to divide time into B.C. and A.D. because of him. You watch. And after he does this, and after he ascends and goes back to his to his father, Christ followers throughout the ages. They're going to build churches and schools and hospitals and universities and missions and care centers in his name and people in his name. They will be like him. They'll clothe the naked. They'll feed the hungry. They'll go behind iron bars and iron curtains and they will welcome strangers. You watch and they'll do it in his name. And John is saying, gang, I wish you knew. There's never been anyone like him. There's never going to be anyone like him ever again. So please, get on his page. Please, prepare for him. Prepare for him. Prepare Luke 2, 4, so Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth, Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and she was expecting a child, preparing. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Would you stand with me this morning? Friends, are you ready for the coming of the king? Are you ready to, to prepare the way? To fill in the valleys? To grate the mountains? That's the cosmic road repair this king is worthy of. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your soul and your spirit and your mind. So wherever you came from and whatever you came with, I want you to know this morning, you are loved by this incredible God who gave his son for you. If you need to give your life to Christ, if you need to enter the waters of baptism to have your sins washed away and start down his way, I want you to come as we sing. If you're looking for a church home and you're ready to place your membership here, if you have questions, you come as well. But friends, before you do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for those come to Jesus moments where we hear your voice clearly asking us 
So what's it going to be? Is it really going to be just one more Christmas? Or is it going to be different this year? Are you going to come to the 26th and say, I missed it? Or are you going to come with a heart full? Lord, that's what I want for myself, for my wife, my daughters. It's what I want for my family. It's what I want for this spiritual family. Lord, there are decisions that need to be made. There's cleaning that needs to happen. So do your work. In Jesus' name, amen.